You're listening to The Issues Podcast. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is an episode of The Issues Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Russ, Tom Brennan, and Martin Wickens. Gentlemen, we are live today. Yeah, we are live. This is the—I think this is the first time we've done one of these lives where we haven't had like a a major, uh, um, you know, issue, technological issue. Since I am the the young guy here, I always struggle with that when we go live. I don't know why, but uh, we're here enough. Yeah, that's that's probably what it is. <laughs> it's still so, we, we struggle less than if I had done it. So just just encourage yourself. That that is uh, one way of going about the encouragement thing for sure. We can just compare yourself to Tom, and life is good. You'll, that you'll works. be worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's Monday morning. I mean, this is the time when most of the time pastors are sitting around sipping coffee, writing their resignation letter. But we're not doing that today. Instead, we're podcasting, and we wanted to <laughs> spend time with other uh, other folks today who uh, need need encouragement like we do. Now, yesterday was a good day for us, and normally we start off our lives with just a little bit of a um uh an update from the weekend and so we had a had a good day at faithway baptist church it is it is a little bit of a a sick season so we've got kiddos who are sick we've got a few folks in the hospital things like that and we're praying for them Uh, in spite of that had a really good day um i'll just just in full transparency i was telling martin before we jumped on here i had one of those weird days in here you know what i'm talking about you know, pastors who have, and I'm pointing at my head for those who are listening by way of audio. Um, there's a lot of weird things that go on inside this noggin, that's for sure. But, you know, I think the devil just kind of fights the pastor in a way that's totally unseen behind the scenes uh, and and mentally. And so I did. I, I asked my wife when, when we got home, I said, you know, how did you feel about the day? She goes, honestly, I was sitting with your children. They were misbehaving. I didn't hear a word you said. So... <laughs> <laughs> she set me straight. She's basically, she said the world doesn't revolve around you. Uh, she yeah. said that in so many words, but she also said, no, it was a great day, you know? And so uh, we did, we really had a good day and a good spirit yesterday and, and the, the Lord blessed. So how did you guys feel about your day yesterday? Reverend Wickens. Yeah, we had a good day. Uh, I think attendance was hit partly by sickness, but also um, unfortunately uh, it was, start of hunting season so i think unfortunately we lost a, a couple to that oh wait um, so yesterday was like the weekend of opening day for you guys i think saturday i think it always used to be like monday or they'd start saturday but then you couldn't hunt sunday or something like that it was only last year that it changed and it upset a lot yeah. of people um i've got family who you know they they refuse to do it um but yeah the hunting season has started and um so i know a few people who've got you know, some, some nice looking bucks and things. So yes, you do success for some. Yes. You do know some people who killed some nice bucks this year. Just so, saying, by, <laughs> but you know what Spurgeon said about the snail, right? By perseverance, he reached the ark. So yeah. brother, brother Rush, you want to tell us about your hunting? Yeah. I, I, I thought you were never going to ask. Well, I, I would say this though. If I went to Martin's church, I would not skip Sunday to go hunting, but uh, <laughs> actually uh, the gun season is in here in Indiana and being that we're kind of in the city of Evansville, I don't think our attendance is usually dramatically, uh, affected by hunting season, but I know some pastors out in the rural areas, man, 
where if they, one guy moved in and took a church uh, about 20 minutes from here in Chandler. And he said, yeah, the first year I was here, tried to have something on Saturday, November the 14th or something like that. And the guys were like, mm, no, not happening, you know? So it is a big uh, tradition. Um, but we've got a bunch of guys in our, in our church who hunt. And last Monday I did, I did kill a nice eight point buck. It wasn't, wasn't uh, by any means a monster, but biggest buck I've ever killed. Yeah. And, uh, got a lot of meat off of that baby so i was really excited about it and his and his really nice antlers i mean i'm i'm not trying to downplay it i'm just saying he was he was nice he was nice i saw I was, a doe get killed the other day i was in the front of our house and i i put up christmas lights on our house and every year i get more lights and my wife is nervous when it's going to stop and and it's not i'm just going to add more and more um so i'm up a ladder kind of nervous of the heights anyway and then i hear this massive crash and i turn oh. around and see this deer flying through the air and this car pulling over like the front driver's side was just destroyed um and then two or three more deer ran behind it and nearly hit yeah. the car behind him um and then the next day about 100 feet down the road from that it must have been like a tractor trailer hit a deer because that thing was just gone ground it was it was it was nothing. <laughs> it's like the skin was on one side of the road, and then the innards were spread across the street. So, oh man, that's the closest I've got to deer myself. Yeah, I'll go I, hunting next year. Yeah, we actually hit a deer this year back in June, and that's the first time I've ever hit a deer with a vehicle. And uh, mm. man, it it was it destroyed totaled our van. We had to buy a new van, you know, and you never get out of the old one. What you need to put in the new one. So it was a big financial. Mm -hmm burden this year and whatnot so yeah this buck was not the first deer that i killed that's for sure it was uh <laughs> it was bad but the, the when we hit it it did i mean i i saw parts of it go over the van and part of it go under the van and it was uh it was about a 70 75 mile an hour conflict there so hmm. but uh, do you think if you've been going the speed limit you wouldn't have hit it like well if i'd have been going 70 like come on this was in nashville this was like south of nashville it was on the highway martin <laughs> I always go the speed limit. <clears throat> anyway, Tom, how was your day yesterday? You're in Iowa. It has to affect deer season has to affect you up in Dubuque. Deer season, Iowa deer famous, famously uh, sought for. Um, mm -hmm. I don't hunt, so I, I don't know that. We had right. snow yesterday. We had sickness yesterday. We had a holiday yesterday. The best <laughs> thing about yesterday is next week, brother. Yeah, come on now. There's some Sundays <laughs> like that. Just, just going to be honest with you. Sometimes the best thing about a Sunday is that the next one's coming. That's right. That's right. But I mean, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm basing that off attendance, of but certainly there were interactions with the people that were a blessing and, and, and hopefully people that were helped in classes and, you know, through, yeah. through different ministries. So I'm being a little bit snarky, but. Well, yeah. I, you know, I think at times that the whole in season, out of season thing, oh, it's yeah. just, yeah. that's the verse of the day. So, yeah. but that's, that's how I felt about yesterday, but, but I started it's amazing you, on the days I feel like that, that's when people who never respond come to the altar or Amen. later on during the day, send me a message and say, you'll never know how much I needed that. And I'm like, really that, you know, I mean, that's just mm. God making his strength perfect in our weakness, you know? Amen. So the Lord certainly worked yesterday. Great day. Um, hopefully other pastors who are listening and we've got a few this morning, uh, can relate and know you're not the only ones. We're not trying to set up any kind of negative, you know, sentiment about Sundays and pastoring and all that. But uh, transparency is, it's a, uh, it's. I think it's good every once in a while. Michael Larson and says we did, here, we did have a good day though. We um good. Yeah, our choir sang, and our choir is just doing excellent. I'm I'm really pleased with the choir. Amen. 
And yeah, so it was it was a good day overall, but you know, it was just just the season. How would you like to live in Alaska where Michael, one of our listeners live says that uh oh, he says he has a missionary friend in Alaska where the hunters tithe moose and game venison that they kill. I'm like that sounds like a pretty neat. Oh yeah, absolutely. That would be an interesting setup. That's awesome. That's incredible. Okay, we've had some good, um, good interaction with listeners this year, and so everybody knows this is the final episode of this season. So we are uh, completing the season with this live episode. And uh, when did we say we're starting back up or attempting to start back up again tentatively? We haven't announced that yet. Yeah. Should we or should we I think not? We're doing, aren't we doing a live in January? And then is it sometime in February? We're kind of officially relaunching the season. Yes, sir. That's the I plan. Think you're right about that. We talked about that just last week, and now I can't remember. Yeah, I know. It's it's somewhere in my notes, right? But uh, exactly. that is the plan. We take a break after Thanksgiving, uh, really before Thanksgiving, because we were done before, uh, with the exception of this live. We'll come back at the first of the year. Talk about a few things, uh, maybe get a preview of what we're what we're getting ready to do, and then I think toward the end of February, maybe the last Tuesday in February is what we talked about uh, launching the the first episode um, of the next season. And so this kind of helps us to take a break every once in a while. We've got the new year upon us. Um, we've got you know obviously Christmas and and things of that nature. And so uh, appreciate um, everybody listening. With that said, we've had quite a few uh, really great. Um, uh, responses from some of our listeners. And Tom, this is a time where you take over and share at least uh, one feedback from every episode, I guess. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about that? Okay. So as uh, Brother rest said, we did have some very intelligent feedback uh, to several of our episodes, some thought-provoking stuff. So the episode we did on the Holy Spirit, we had an extended discussion inside of it about the will of God and how the Holy Spirit leads us in the will of God. Yes. And one of our listeners, Derek Renshaw, wrote us and said that he's actually working on a book on the subject of the will of God. And his email was very thought-provoking. I wish I could read and discuss the whole thing, but we, we don't. But he said, we don't have time, but he said there's essentially, um, according to him, five different types of the will of God. And the fifth one is what we were discussing, what he calls, what Derek Renshaw calls God's plan for my life. And he talks about that type of the will of God. In other words, what we would call the individual will of God for our life. Well, God's plan for an individual operates within circumstances, includes options, is subject to change, and is understood as we submit to and live out his revealed will in Scripture and his applied will. And I thought that was a very interesting sentence. So he's saying, and I'm curious for your response to this, Martin and Stephen, God's plan for an individual operates within circumstances. In other words, it's different depending on the circumstances. Mm -hmm. It includes options, meaning that we can choose A or B and still be within the will of God and um, and is understood as we submit and live out his revealed will in Scripture. We see it more clearly as we follow the word of God in obedience. So I want to know if you guys had any thoughts in response to that. I think the key to it is what he says at the end of that sentence, which is that it's understood as we submit and live out to his revealed will in scripture and his applied will in our lives. And so all the other parts of it, I agree with. Matter of fact, that was the most comprehensive response and probably the most comprehensive summary that Mm -hmm. I've ever read on the will of God. Um, And that's just the last point. I mean, you mentioned, Tom, he gave five. Right. Um, Right. And Mm -hmm. maybe we will at some point give all of it. I don't know. Um, 
because I, I'd want to make sure that we had his permission to share. Um, but it really, it really tackled from all different mm-hmm. points of perspective, what we were trying to discuss. And that's one thing I love about um, chatting with you guys about these issues is that it's just a conversation to help us grow toward clarity. And uh, I'm thankful that someone was able to, um, to kind of provide some more clarity in that. So that last part about we understand God's individual will as we live out his revealed will in scripture, that's key. Nothing is more authoritative than scripture. And, um, and that's great feedback. I mean, just really helpful. Martin, I I hope, I hope he writes the book. I mean, I, Oh yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I I hope he does. Martin, we do need more. I think it was it was very comprehensive. It was very helpful. And I was going to say, you know, we won't reveal the whole email. We'll just let you know when he's written his book and you can all buy the book from there him. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe, but, we'll, maybe um, we'll have him on as a guest. That'd be good. Yeah. But no, it was very helpful because I think, you know, we, we covered what we could in, in the single episode. Uh, but there is a lot of, uh, I, I think, sometimes unnecessary mystery around talking about the will of God. And sometimes it can be made almost a fearful thing. You know that almost kind of a, a fear of getting it wrong, um, mm-hmm. and so what he wrote, I think, was very helpful in in finding that balance of God's will existing, but yeah. not being afraid of of missing it. I like that that perspective, Martin, because I'm dealing with some people right now that they want so bad, like they have such strong desire for the will of God and for God to be uh, real to them in their life, and they are riddled with doubt and fear and it's important that we understand that as it relates to approaching the individual will of God, we should not be fearful. We generally, mm-hmm. generally are as it relates to that, but we should not yeah. be. That's a, that's a wider point. There's some people who seem to have an, a, 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 a concept of God, like he's just waiting to hit them over the head with a two by four. Mm-hmm. If they step an inch out of line and that's not how I understand God in the Bible. And I'm, not, I'm not trying to go the route of, you know, laissez faire, but, but, but I think that's a great point. We, we shouldn't serve God paranoid. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's I think a lot of the times great. that comes from the, the concept of the father that people have. So if their earthly father was perhaps overly austere and strict or even abusive, then mm. they, they almost subconsciously transfer that understanding of fatherhood to God the father. And they have to kind of relearn what it means to have a father. Oh, yeah. yeah and that that's a point. I would say I, I don't feel like my dad modeled any of that negative in my life and i still at times struggle to understand god as a father um so you know the just for sure the the whole aspect of fear or the aspect of doubt the aspect of what tom said which is you know viewing god inaccurately um yeah we, we overcoming those things helps us in understanding god's leading for us in his individual will. So great feedback. Appreciate that from uh, Brother Renshaw. All right, we move on then uh, to uh, we got a comment, extended extended comment from Nate Holmes about the depression episode, uh, which I think was the last one that aired. Mm -hmm. And he's these are not necessarily in chronological order. Um, And he talked about how he dealt with it in relation to a disease that he has. And he said, I'll give you this quote from it. He said, I'm reaching out to you all because I believe this is a portion of depression that is often overlooked, and that is physiological ailment. For me, there are several things that have helped me in dealing with this. So he talks, he talked at length about what his ailment was, and then he said two things essentially that helped him to deal with the depression that came with the ailment. 
Uh, first, finding out all you can about your ailment or disease, even if it's incurable. Uh, it may help you find something that can alleviate some of the symptoms. And then secondly, learning to accept the life that God has given you. And I felt this one very keenly because my I have Meniere's disease, which is different than what, what Nate has. But I, I think I, I think I understand him a little bit. And, and both of those points of view, I guess that counsel that I gave are very wise. If you can figure mm-hmm. out five different things that will improve your symptoms 5%, then you're 25% better, even if it's not curable. If, if, if you can manage your life in such a way that it's better, uh, it does help your depression. But then I think that point of accepting what, what God has given you in your life, the Puritans used to preach a concept called resignation which is the sense of this is God's will for me, and so I'm resigned mm. to accepting it, not in a negative sense, but in the sense of this is how he chooses for me to glorify him. And, and it's, that, it's that sense I think Nate was trying to convey with that sentence when we, when we just get to the place where it's not that we're not trying to make, get, our, you know, get better and improve, and, but it's that, okay, this is God's will for my life, you know, to tie this one back to the last one, and so I'm going to live it out the best I can and ask his help in it. It lifts some of that depression. I thought that was good, good good thoughts. Martin, you and I were there when Doug Fisher said that about his health. Um, Remember, he said that he said, this is God's will for me. Mm -hmm. And that was at out at leadership. I mean, he was shaking, you know, he had he had like a stroke and then a heart attack on the table. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And I could see how that would be helpful. Again, you're not giving up on getting better, but you've (coughs) got to resign yourself to where you are in the moment and then you can deal with it rather than you know wasting energy on trying to escape it yeah yeah absolutely good feedback and very helpful um for those in that situation and i hope neither of you ever have to get there it's a humbling thing but can be a useful thing in our life all right we did an interview with evangelist mark rogers and justin die one of our missionary friends Reference Stevens Russ's point about uh, this generation needing you to affect their life before they'll let you come in with spiritual help. You remember Brother Russ, you made that appointment about uh, that point rather about how um, building a relationship with them then allows you to minister to them spiritually. Right. And he said it's very similar to the mission field. He said, quote, mm. it's been a huge mark on our field. And he went on to describe it as, um, Quote, as a philosophy, we aren't here for humanitarian efforts, but our team runs a clinic, employs church members for labor. We have a Christian school that typically starts the year with a lot. These ministries have everything to do with exposing people to the gospel, but the people see it as community development or health services. So they view it as you're helping us, and then they're more open to the gospel. Mm -hmm. He's still putting the gospel first, and his, his goal is still to plant churches and those sorts of things. In fact, I just got an email from him Saturday about, about the possibility of an aviation ministry. Yeah. But it, but although they're not there as humanitarians, those huma- those humanitarian things they're doing uh, open the the relationship that allows them then to to do the spiritual things. I thought that was a good point in a, mm-hmm. in, a in a mission field context. Yeah, I think humanitarian yeah. aid is good when it points to the gospel. Always. Yeah, my pastor always used to say that you know a lot of people don't care what you know until they know you care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, find in different avenues to show that you care about them in, in their entire uh, life. It opens the door to minister in spiritual ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who was the missionary that said that we have to be careful not to make the world a better place from which to go to hell? I don't know. I I've heard that credited to several people, maybe CT Stud, but I don't. Yeah, I think I that's who I heard it. 
I heard it credited to Clarence Sexton, but I was like, I'm sure it's older than him. And it is because yeah. I heard it. Clarence, uh, C.T. Stead was the one that you just reminded me. But and that doesn't mean not to make the world a better place. Matter of fact, Christianity, by default, will make the world a better place because uh, well said we will. We will. If we live a Christian life, walk a Christian walk and employ the the same virtues that Christ employed while on the on the earth, it's going to make things better um, in in many facets. That being said, we can't stop short of the gospel. And, you know, I've heard I've heard some of our uh, more dogmatic uh, um, uh, leaders, um, so-called in the movement, you know, say things like, oh, you're just going out there and giving water bottles. That's, you know, I would do that. Like, I, I mean, go out there, put a water bottle with a QR code that puts leads to a gospel film. Like, I have no problem doing that kind of thing. I don't think it's a waste of time. I think it's good. Um, but but I love what what he was saying, too maybe because he complimented what I was saying. I don't know, there you go. <laughs> but you have to, you know, you have to, inf- you have to impact people where they are in many cases before you can help them go to where they need to be. And so let's be mm-hmm. diligent in doing so uh, to actually fulfill the process of that great commission mandate. Right. So another good thought. And uh, Martin, sorry, you, you weren't with us by the way, on that, that particular episode had some, uh, technological issues there and uh anyway so we we definitely missed out not having you there i really appreciated that the cultural connection of that in his sense was different than how it is in your sense in evansville his sense in the jungle is different but it's still still the same principle moving on then uh we did an episode on children's ministries and daniel ward said Uh, In response, one thing I would have liked to have seen discussed in more detail is the practical steps pastors and children's workers can take to prevent false accusations of abuse against those that serve and prevent actual abuse from taking place and protecting children from abuse. We Mm. didn't go through a lot of specifics about that. I have two things in response, and then I'll see what you guys have to say. One is um, I would suggest that you have a partnership with – I'm talking to pastors now – that you have a partnership with a good uh, legal ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, that you can have constant updates from and communication with, so you can be up to date with the last uh, best practices, for lack of a better phrase. Um, the other is I would recommend a book for your consideration written by Vaughn Glover, who's an attorney uh, and a friend of mine. He wrote it about 15 years ago, slightly out of date, but but still a good book available on, on Amazon. The title is Protecting Your Church from Against Sexual Predators. That's Protecting Your Church Against Sexual Predators by Voyle Glover. Those would be my two recommendations uh, in response to that, gentlemen. Yeah. A couple of practical things you can do is if you have a, an unofficial security team, you know, have them make the rounds, walk in, pop in on classrooms, um, you know, walking through maybe in pairs, that kind of thing. Um, you can, if there's constant movement and if they're very thorough, then you can do that. Um, and so that, that's one way I think that could help, um, the, uh, the false accusation aspect. I don't know that there's a way to completely avoid false accusations. Um, certainly you can put yourself in a position to be vindicated by having, like we added 20 plus security cameras here a couple of years ago to our entire inside and outside facility. Um, I want to add more um, within reason. Um, you can, you can do all of that. So yeah, you know, there, there are practical steps that you can take there. Uh, and then, um, I, you know, I agree. I'm going to get that book, Tom, cause I, I'd never heard of that book. So I think one practical thing that we aim for is that children are never alone mm-hmm. with any of the youth leaders or any, any adult for that matter, but mm-hmm. just trying to make it a principle that we, you know, 
you remove any opportunity for <laughs> anything to actually happen or to allege to have happened. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And we, and we hope that'll be an encouragement to you. Uh, then uh, we did an episode uh, on separation. In fact, we did two earlier in the season. And we had an interesting uh, response from Nevin Neal, who pastors out west. And I'm not sure I have a good answer for him. So I'm going to read his comment. Uh, this is in relation to secondary separation. And I'm leaning upon you gentlemen for an intelligent answer because I'm not sure I have one. He said, Paul's withstanding Peter over his relationship with the Judaizers as it relates to the topic of secondary separation. Clearly, Paul wasn't going to separate from Peter for not separating from the Judaizers, but Peter was separating from Gentile brethren to appease the Judaizers. Additionally, some might accuse Paul of trying to control Peter's friendships by challenging him about his hypocritical stance. Um, hmm. Thoughts? So, yeah, the secondary separation issue from the perspective of how we were discussing it has to do with, I'm not going to be associated with you because you're associated with so-and-so. Now, if you're associated with, a, if you're, if you are actively partnering with heretical doctrine, then I feel justified in separating from that. Um, and that's, you know, that's not what we're necessarily speaking out against. Um, but this is a scenario, right? That's kind of, uh, it's not hypothetical at all. <laughs> No, it's, right? it's smack there in the middle of the Bible. Right. So he's, he, he's well, maybe the difficulty that, in applying go what's going on there is what would have happened if Peter had not taken Paul's counsel and continued. Right. So it seems like this was at the outset and he dealt with it. Peter apparently responded. But what would have happened if Peter had not um, stopped separating from the Gentiles and trying to appease the Judaizers? And I think that... Oh, that's, that's kind of thought. an unknown that's hard to speak to. Yeah, so Peter is practicing bad separation. He is separating from the Gentiles to appease the Jewish Judaizers, which, I mean, Jewish Christians, are we? Depends how you define that. Right. Because, I think I mean, yes. I think yes. in chapter two, yes. In that scenario, I think they were Christians who were kind of falling into the trap of the Galatians, right? That's that's mm -hmm. how I would view them. So they were going back to dead works. And Paul practiced confrontation, not separation. So he went in with the truth. He dealt with Peter as a brother. He withstood him to the face, and a reconciliation took place, a correction of the attitude took place. Um, that's That seems like a, a good way. I mean, that... <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a good way to handle it. Loving confrontation. I'm sure that Paul was intense, but later on you hear Peter calling Paul brother Paul. You know, I mean their their fellowship is is close. Was restored. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I get was the end that, you know, Paul dealt with it rather than writing to the Galatians about it. Hey, have you guys mm -hmm. heard what Peter's doing? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he, he dealt with it. That's gonna ruin than... my whole internet ministry. How how am I gonna <laughs> go forward at this point? I don't know. I, I think I, I, to me, se secondary separation and this thought can apply to Galatians chapter two in that event. Secondary separation is a case by case basis. Mm. I don't think you can. I don't think you can. You can make hard and fast, broad rules in relation to that because mm -hmm. you'll hurt people. Some people you will minister to, even though they're fellowshipping or partnering with people they shouldn't. Some people you should not minister to because they will infect you. And so it's that 
or that'll damage some group that you're that you're working with. And so I I think I don't think you can draw even from that passage in Galatians chapter two or that event or that story any hard and fast rules about secondary separation. I'm not trying to dodge this question. No, it's genuinely what I think. Well, what um, we're doing is we're talking about it on a very practical level, an individual level, and it you know what it sounds like you're saying is that it can be somewhat subjective, Tom. Yes, I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where, you know, let every man be persuaded in his oh, own yeah. mind has to come in. And even then, though, the spirit of the individual who separates from another has to be right. You can't I just don't mm-hmm. believe in these crusades that you see going around, um, you know, and not to mention any any specific crusades going around. But uh, I I just but don't see them. But we, <laughs> we could. Yeah, we could. <laughs> um, so separate so, you know, from those who are too eager to separate. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed the discussions on separation too, because we dealt with those things on a on a doctrinal level. We dealt with them on a biblical level, the concepts, the principles, and then we moved into that practical space. and And there, therein lies right, the. Right. There's there it is right is there's the subjective That's where it gets nature. Sticky. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, I I think I think that Paul's dealing with Peter was thorough. I think it was biblical. I think it was accurate. Like you said, Martin, he didn't go on a crusade against him. He used it as an illustration after the fact of, yes, this was an incident, but it didn't erase or cancel Peter's ministry. Um, it was just an incident, and it was something that took yeah. place. So I think sometimes people use separation and secondary, secondary separation as a tool to try and tear others down to build themselves up, mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. and, and that's yeah. not that wasn't Paul's intent. You know, that was, you know, Paul, his goal was reconciliation. His goal was to see Peter effective in ministry and God glorified. And I think that's a a principle that we have to keep a very close eye on. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Any other feedback for us, Tom? One, and this is the briefest one of these six. Uh, This is from Dave Malinak, who has a certain way with words. This is in reference to the discussion you and I had, Brother Russ, about the will of God on the Holy Spirit episode. Pastor Martin Wickens only gets to speak when spoken to. <laughs> I would like to More. deeply apologize to my British brother for all the times I have cut him off and I have shut him down and I, I repent yeah. in dust ashes. I abhor myself to quote Job. You really need to repent of that insecurity. I'm just saying, Tom, that's all I'm saying. So, Well, see, well, I'm just afraid of speaking too much and finding out, you know, people realizing they've overestimated me. Um, there there was a saying that came to mind recently i put it up on twitter that it's better to be you know keep your mouth shut and be thought an idiot than to open your mouth and remove all doubt doubt. yeah yeah (laughs) there you go i will say martin that most likely us americans due to your british accent we do overestimate you but that's okay without a doubt yeah sorry about that shots fired shots shots fired yeah (laughs) we wanted to uh share all that feedback and then say if there are any other thoughts you know this we have some things coming in right now i'm reading as we go through uh don long says they have class they have cameras in all classrooms and so there's another thought as far as for the um uh the the need of security for children and and making sure that they're protected and all that um someone asks if paul was older or younger than peter and he's he even says michael larson says not that that matters entirely i would agree i don't i don't know do you guys know the answer to that It's better to be thought wise and keep your mouth shut than open your mouth and remove all that. <laughs> yeah, I have no yeah. idea. Okay. I, I would think they were a similar age. I don't think there would have been a huge amount in it, but yeah. I don't know. 
I don't think age has anything to do with it. I agree. But anyway, that's just because I'm the youngest guy here. So we wanted to no, talk no, a lot about of people, us. I think fixate on age. And uh, I think that with, they do. Uh, and that's, I know that's not what Michael's doing there, but I think um, our society, you know, I, I think teenagers are a completely manufactured age group. Historically, yeah. teenagers didn't exist. You were a child or you were a man or a woman. And we've mm-hmm. kind of, um, so I think with, with Peter um, and Paul, they were similar enough age that they mm-hmm. would have been seen as, as, pretty much equals so, um, but it's a it's, it's a good question though so it's, it's good to consider yeah I, there, I actually read a book years ago called do hard Did things you? that's good uh <laughs> nice on um <laughs> the um that that what you just said martin that teenagers the word teenager or something or the the whole category didn't exist until the 1900s maybe the mid 1900s i can't remember the exact year but uh good good point good thoughts can we move on mm-hmm. to our topic are we okay to do that Let's go. Our friend Landon has a question. Maybe we just need to put it to a poll, um, you know, rather than us try and answer yeah. it. But Landon wants before to know we answer it. Best before question. we even give it, I just want to say the Bible does say to avoid foolish and unlearned questions. So maybe we just move past this one. Well, I guess it's foolish because <laughs> clearly I'm the best looking of the three. Okay. So uh, he asks who the know. best looking is of all three of you. And I'm like Landon, 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 Landon. <laughs> Hey, Landon deserves what, some. What do you some, think, Landon? Why don't you answer the question? I actually I don't, don't want to know what Landon know. thinks. All I want to know is what Mandy thinks. That's, that's no, we don't want to know what Landon thinks about that. That's awkward. But we do want to say thank you to Landon because Landon jumped in this year as a volunteer with the Issues Podcast and did all of the editing, uh, post-recording editing, so that we could. Uh, uh, <laughs> Brian says none of the above. <laughs> As the answer to the uh, question. Now I know our least favorite follow. All right. We need yeah, to ban Brian. Can we like ban him for five minutes? <laughs> Brian, you we can't have, listen for the next five minutes. We are not above banning people. Anyway, so with that, we want to move on to our topic and uh, props to Landon for all of his help this year. So we thought we'd pick kind of a lighthearted, more um, less controversial. I'm sure we have the ability to turn it into a controversial topic, um, but more of a <laughs> Tom's like noir. Um, but with the uh, with the Christmas season upon us and with a lot of pastors who watch and things of that nature or people who are involved in church services, we wanted to talk a little bit about structuring a church service for the benefit of the entire congregation. I would use the word for the edification of the congregation, because that's really what we're after here. And so this was the topic that we chose. Um, and uh, while wow, people are like shutting the live stream down, no, I'm just kidding. They're not doing that. Um, so we're going to talk about it over the next uh, few moments here as we close out our season today and uh, both both martin and tom have made extensive notes on this so i'd like to defer to one or the other of you as to what should be involved in a church service you have to know first of all what needs to be part of any given church service before you can go beyond that in any way who wants to take the lead here between the two of you martin's list is longer than mine so he should go yes go ahead is my list longer it is by one. I find my list. I think it is by so one. So I think using the the New Testament as the example, um, you have uh, the Lord's table. Observing that, whatever frequency it is, I prefer more frequent than less frequent. But the Bible doesn't specify. So Acts twenty verse seven, First Corinthians eleven, go to the Lord's table. Um, prayer is regularly mentioned. First Corinthians fourteen, mm-hmm. singing. Uh, Ephesians five nineteen. I think. Yeah. Um, and a very, we're going to break all this down further, but singing, um, 
you know, financial offerings and collections or tithing of your moose or whatever it is you've got <laughs> to give. Um, I think scripture reading, Colossians 4.16, yes. just the straightforward reading of scripture at a specific time when that's done. Obviously, the preaching, the expounding of the word. And I think fellowship meals were perhaps more frequent. We have potlucks mm-hmm. um, or bring and share meals or whatever, but I think those fellowship meals were perhaps more structured and more regular than we might yeah. have. Um, but certainly those first six I mentioned, I think, are, are regular um, occurrences, you know, events that we see as a part of a, a New Testament church service. I agree with you. And I think that if if our church services don't include those, um, I, I, I define fellowship a little different than you do in the sense of you moved in the, in the meal direction. I, I, in my mind, meant more in the in the spending time with each other direction before and after services. But if your services don't include the Lord's table and prayer and music and offerings and scripture and preaching or teaching, then you don't have a scriptural church service. Okay. So do you think mm-hmm. that all those things have to be in every service in order to have no. scriptural church service? Okay. Just for clarification, the way it was okay. said. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I did phrase that a little clunkily with with the clunkily. caveat that the Bible doesn't say clunkily speaking of phrasing something clunkily clunkily. Um the Bible doesn't say, as Martin said, the Bible doesn't say how often we're to the Lord's table. So uh, I observe it perhaps less frequently than Martin does. But those others yeah. are all essential to a service. And I think every one of our services would include those in some sense. And that's mm-hmm. on purpose. It's designed that way. How often, Martin, do you do the Lord's table at your church? Here we do it once a month. Okay. Um, it generally, the, the first Sunday evening of the month uh, in in uh, Northern England, when I helped church there, when I served there, we we would observe it every Sunday morning. So before the morning service, there would be like a whole service mm. dedicated to the Lord's table. Um, and then, but then when I went to another church in Brimson, we had it on the first Sunday morning and the second sun, the third Sunday evening. So we did it twice a month. So, okay. you know, I, I've seen it done different ways. And I probably mm-hmm. would prefer more rather than less. Mm-hmm. Um but it's it's not specified in scripture uh, as to as to its frequency. Tom, how often do you all do it, or do you have a set time? We do it quarterly. So um, do we. I and I've toyed with the idea of turning that into an entire service. Um, That's what we, we do. do. It do you? Yes. When we do it, we do it at the beginning of the service, not the end. So it's not like tacked on the end. But um, mm-hmm. do you preach in that service, brother Russ? No, um, we do we do a lot more corporate scripture readings, and I, I choose oh, yeah. several extended texts. Uh, for instance, we have ours. We have a Christmas communion every year, mm-hmm. so we'll be doing that uh, two weeks from yesterday on Sunday evening. The whole service will be scripture, a song that goes with the scripture. Not all Christmas, but but a lot of Christmas. Um, we may focus more on the Christmas element of uh, of things. Um, because there are several prophecies that deal with both the coming of the Savior and what he will do. Um, and so we'll we'll merge a lot of those things together. Um, we started doing that about three or four years ago. I can't remember when we started. And it's funny because I always think the change itself is going to be a problem, you know, how people are. And it's not just independent Baptists. I mean, it's everyone. Right. I get more comments that the service was so special because the whole church is reading. The whole church is singing, the whole church is praying, the whole church is partaking. 
And so everything, and I may, after we read the scripture, give three abbreviated thoughts about the text. Um, I may even have music playing while we read, um, not for any emotional purposes, just to keep the whole flow of the service going. That's just a practical thing. You most definitely don't have to do that. Um, we have a phenomenal pianist who is able to just massage the whole service together when we do that. And so that helps. Um, but our Lord's table services, we do them quarterly because <laughs> partly because I don't think I could sustain that model once a month. I mean, that mm-hmm. would be a lot to do. Um, so we do it around Christmas, we do it around Easter and we do it two other times. Yeah. Cool. yeah Something so, we do. Cause I mean, you said Tom about, you know, it's not just tagged on to the end of the service. And sometimes right. that was the feeling I've had is that you kind of have the regular service preach and then you're like, Oh man, we got to get this done before it's right. the service is too long. So mm-hmm. generally what I've done is move it to the beginning of the service. And one thing I like to do, I still tend to preach the whole sermon around the Lord's table or something on that theme, but we have a hymn and we'll sing two verses of the hymn and then go through the Lord's table and then the finish off the hymn. So it feels united it kind of brings it all together oh, yeah. mm-hmm. rather than being like a separate entity but i like what steven does and i've done stuff like that before um in other places and, and even here so yeah i think there's ways of of keeping it unique mm-hmm. even with frequency so so those are the elements that you need to have uh, and and i fully agree because here's what those things do those things make our gathering distinct so we're going to focus on those things. I mean, those are the things that that you have to do. The other thing is, and Tom, I think you mentioned this, or at least you had intended to, and so I don't mean to steal your thunder, but you mentioned the reason why we meet on Sunday, and that's because it observes the resurrected Savior. Mm-hmm. That's the that that's what you see in the in the New Testament, the clear Correct. implication, and uh, it's it's not a the purpose. You know, I, I love Easter, and and we we celebrate the resurrection at Easter. But the, the 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 approach in the New Testament is that the church met every Sunday to celebrate the resurrection, and they did that every single week, fifty two weeks yeah. a year. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then John referred to it as the Lord's Day, right? And, and I believe that, and I believe it ought to be kept separate and viewed mm-hmm. separate. That perhaps is another discussion, but yeah, and that I mean that was seen as the regular practice very early on. I think it was I was reading quotes by Justin Martyr and Ignatius and others within 150 200 years like that is the the established pattern was meeting on the first day of the week for all you know for various reasons and it's you know spoken of so frequently in the new testament um i think Mm -hmm. that's very clear i know the day isn't what we're focusing on um here but i think that focus on the resurrection and it being on the first day of the week is is worth noting right and i agree with that um but uh, certainly our our practice about church services should spring from our doctrine about church services. Yes. Which is why yes. we're starting with, here's the list of what the Bible says a church service include. Here's the day it should be on. And then I, I would add that the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, that as we get closer to the second coming, mm-hmm. we have to be in church more. So that's either adding more services on Sunday or adding more services during the week or some combination of both of those. Uh, I, I think the clear teaching in the Word of God is that churches should assemble more often as we get closer to the Lord's coming rather than less often. Yeah. And so it doesn't it mm-hmm. doesn't limit us just to Sunday. It it establishes Sunday for those reasons and then says, yeah. but do it more. 
Well, and you had in the, in Acts daily and from house to house. I mean, so to mm-hmm. me, what that says is that the fellowship aspect of the what what that what that says to me, okay, is is not that they had a church service in every house, and and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, and maybe that's the way they had to do it, but that the church wanted to be together, <coughs> and so when they gathered, they fellowshiped with the breaking of bread and in the apostles' doctrine. So, I mean, it wasn't a gossip mm-hmm. fest. It wasn't a, it wasn't a come over and watch the game. Uh, obviously it wasn't, but it was a, let's get together to talk about the things of God. And, and I know that on Sunday was the established corporate gathering, but one thing that I, I know that our church needs to be better at, and, and we have, I have, as far as I can tell, some of my own church members watching right now, it's not a criticism. I'm always just looking for ways to grow is that we need to be better about being the church and being together throughout the week. Um, because I need, I need sharpening. I need edification. I need encouragement. And if I need it as the pastor, I know my people need it without a mm-hmm. doubt, without a question. Um, and so we want to make sure that we, we do those things. So the doctrinal aspect then lends its way. We, we stem everything out of that. We never do anything in our services to violate that. Um, we, we yield our time for that. And we want to do so. Um, by the way, you mentioned, I wanted to get back to this. You mentioned music as being Ephesians. Um, but Colossians says we should teach ourselves with songs and hymns and spiritual mm-hmm. songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. It's very similar to Ephesians, but mm-hmm. it says that we should be basically teaching one another by singing together. And I was I, teaching and admonishing one another. And yeah. I think that's a, it's why we have a hymn-based song service, and it's not about the age or you know whatever, but the hymn format mm-hmm. is designed to teach, and mm-hmm. and we have choruses, we have songs that are uh, they share the experience, you right. know, and I know sometimes people can get very particular about certain songs. I used to be very much against in the garden, but I think. And again, we don't sing those generally, but um, one of our young people played it yesterday and I sat there listening to it and thinking about the words and, and Lily, she did a great job with it. And what some of those do is it shares that experience. It's that memory. It's that part of it. But I, I think like 95% um, needs to be mm-hmm. teaching. It, it needs to be admonishing. It needs to be informative. And uh, I think one one extreme can be that all the music is just kind of about emotion and experience and it mm-hmm. never actually informs or challenges you. I think music should have the ability, the songs, though the words should have the ability to bring conviction, but without yeah. isolating some of those old hymns, which are old favorites that talk about the experience and the emotion of being with the Lord. But that's right. a very that's- subjective part of it. That verse in Colossians is why I decided to take one whole service and sing scripture songs Mm. because it says psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And Mm -hmm. we don't exclusively sing psalms. We sing verses from the Bible. There's a rotation that we use and, and I add more and teach the, teach the folks more. We do it on Wednesday night. Um, But I think that's something that um, is biblical and helpful. It's a whole different, it gives a whole different feel to that service because it's not a hymn. And it's not. And I'm not criticizing anything Martin just said. We we I, I agree yeah. with what he just said. Um, music is an emotional language, 
at the same time, that music the church sings corporately should edify us as well as praise the Lord, as well as make us feel something. But then along yes. with all of those things, I believe we should be singing scripture. I think that's a biblical point that Paul emphasized. Yeah. And if there was someone who disagreed with that, maybe you could have a a, a, a reading of a psalm every service or something. You know, I mean, you read that. I don't know. I mean, again, I agree with both of you. You know, I think I think it's good. And, yeah, you know, Martin, you mentioned you have songs that you're like, I'm not a fan. And, and I have that, too. Um, I've had to learn to, as long as it's not a violation of anything doctrinal, but to learn to let some of those things go and yeah. let them. Now, I've, I've requested that some songs not be sung on Sunday mornings, um, and that's my prerogative, I think. And that definitely is subjective. You That word's getting thrown around a lot today because that's a lot of what our discussion is. This is meant to more, more from this point on, I think now, um, just kind of spark maybe some ideas or thoughts of how, how we can take what we just talked about as bedrock doctrine of what needs mm-hmm. to be in a part of our services and how those things can be incorporated. And in. now I can say this, you can be a part of a service that have all of the things that we've mentioned doctrinally and the service not be a blessing at all because it was done with a lack of excellence. So there has to be excellence in the execution of the service. One of the things that that we work on and we're not perfect on. And again, I've, I've actually let this go a little bit because I realize we don't need to be perfect. We need to be, we need to involve more people. And when you involve more people, it, you're going to stumble every time. That's, that's how it works. Um, but try to eliminate all of the pauses and dead time in your service. Um, there is a place for a pause. But a lot of our pauses, a lot of our silence, a lot of our dead time is just we don't know what's coming next. One of you made a point, or Martin, in your notes, you made a point that it's very likely that the early church services were structured. Did Martin freeze on us? It looks like he did. He does look like he did, man. Hopefully he'll come back. (laughs) He's frozen, man. His, and his eyes are sideways, almost like he's annoyed with me. I, I was starting hopefully. to feel like maybe I'd gone a, a bad direction there. Hopefully That's he funny. can log out and come back in. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm going to steal Martin's notes then because we're on this topic. Oh, I'm sure he's used to that. Uh, <laughs> he's coming back. Hold on. Let's give him a second. I think he's coming back. He's trying to come back. So to that point yeah. about about pauses or dead time, I used to agree with you entirely yeah and someone said something to me that changed my mind um we we structured our service in such a way that we had uh the offering and then a congregational and then scripture reading and then a special number and then the message and the people that sang the special number moved during the prayer time at the end of the scripture reading and so they were ready to go as soon as the as soon as the prayer at the end of the scripture reading was done the special started, and then I, I got up and preached. And someone said to me that those people are not joining us in prayer because they're moving. Mm-hmm. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that was true. They were setting up while we were praying. Right. And so I switched that. This is probably about two years ago, maybe. I switched that order around, um, and now we do an offering and then a congregational song and then a special number, then the scripture reading, then the prayer, or then the preaching. But as a consequence, there's a gap between the congregational singing and the, and the special number song where people come up and they get ready and they get their microphones and they set up their music and someone, 
you know, sits, sits down at the piano and all of that. And at first it bothered me that, that sort of dead time, but mm-hmm. I would rather have, I'm not trying to be ornery with you. I'm just being just, we're having a discussion. I would rather have them be a part of every single part of the service and have to have a point in time in which there's some dead time. Right. Then to turn the prayer into something that just covers up while we set up. Fair point. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to counter with while they're getting set up, the piano can play. Something can happen. Not that, that's what we yeah. do. Um, I got booted off. So I missed uh, about a minute or two. Yeah, um, someone but, said, speaking of pauses. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, but what we had, cause we don't have any chairs or anything up for a choir at the moment. So when the uh, choir is coming up, my wife plays just like the first, you know, line or two of the, of the, the song they're singing until they get in position. And then she gives an intro and then we, we go in. But what I was going to say before is I think silence is an underused part of the service. And uh, I think silence can force people to have to think and, and mm-hmm. not constantly. Now, if it's because of it, of, of it's not planned, that's one thing, but right. if, yes. if you're right. saying, okay, this is going to be a moment that people can actually stop. Cause as a preacher, if you ever lose your train of thought, and for like five seconds, there's silence. That can seem like the longest time period in the world. Mm-hmm. So silence is powerful. And I don't think we use silence enough deliberately in our services. Okay. So so Tom said, and Martin, you were um, frozen with a very annoyed look on your face, by the way, when this was going on. So it's very funny. <laughs> but Tom said, I used to agree with you, speaking of me entirely, when I said cut the dead time. And maybe I said cut all the dead time out of your service. And so it's a good, um, it's a very good counterpoint that your your silence should be deliberate it can be mm-hmm. there i mean it i i've i have n- no problem now i i don't prefer it i don't like it um if you know if, if there's three seconds of dead time between the offertory and the special i am going nuts i'm like yeah that was avoidable See, that's where it used to be yeah but that yeah, but that was I'm avoidable that was avoidable now if out of discipline and out of out of a out right. of principle Right. You say nobody's moving during the prayer, all of that. But see, that's where you just compensate and you say after the prayer, the pianist can play a longer introduction or can play a chorus and then pause and then go right into the song. So, mm-hmm. so not, not if I still advocate. Pianist. So, uh, you know, Correct. I, I, I don't want to belabor this point. The point yeah. is that I think Martin's point is the best point, which is that what you do, do deliberately for what you believe are good reasons. Yes, a church service that mm-hmm. is haphazardly executed mm-hmm. is as probably because it's haphazardly planned, and those don't bring <laughs> glory to God. I think no. that's the I, I think that's the the more important point we should make here. Right, we shouldn't be haphazard about these things. They're offerings to the Lord. Yeah. One uh, thing I, I think the the early church, the New Testament church, so you know that first century, that group of believers, <laughs> it would have probably had more order than some people would like to to think because they're coming out of the the synagogue format they're coming out of the 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 temple format and i don't think it was rigid and dead liturgy but i i think they things were done i mean like paul said decently and in order mm-hmm. um i don't think you know the the fake kind of nonsense um that paul warned against in first corinthians saying you know someone from the outside comes in and looks and you know, they're not edified by it. I think decently in an order should flow through all of our services. Um, yeah. 
And something I put in the notes was, you know, aiming for excellence, but without exclusion. I don't think something should be so poorly done that it distracts from the message and the overall service, but not making it such a high level that some people can never participate because they, you know, they're just not counted worthy. And I think we're very aware of this when, you know, Carrie grew up in Greenville and, you know, some of the churches had like a six month waiting list to play an offertory because everybody was a doctor and played the piano. And so there were some people who had good hearts. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, it was Greenville. Um, And that, that Bob Jones culture there and, you know, which was a good thing, but it kind of had the impact of excluding some people. Um, well, it, it, so again, it, and, I think there's a balance yeah. there to reach. Yeah. The, the other, the counterpoint to that is going to be what, Paul, you know, and I'm not, here's the thing we need to do better about this. We have, like I mentioned, we have a phenomenal pianist and he's one of the most humble servants I have ever met in my life. Like he wouldn't, mm-hmm. he's, he doesn't think of himself as any kind of celebrity whatsoever. He's extremely good, both gifted and disciplined in his music people oh he plays by ear i'm like now nah, he plays by music and by ear and he can play all styles it's a, it's a learned skill yeah and so i think and i i mean i think sometimes people uh think well i don't want to play because of this the other thing is this is that whatever level you play at you need to do so with skill so i'm going to advocate for more um of a um you know the bible talks about play skillfully with a loud noise Right. That's those are the exact right. words of Psalm right. 37, I think. So what we want to do is we want to engage more people in our services because it's helpful to engage more people. But 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 you can't sacrifice the skill in order to do so. You can sacrifice expertise, okay, different levels of mm-hmm. skill. But if I'm at a certain level, I'd still need to play skillfully at my level. I still need to sing oh, skillfully yeah. at my you, you level. You have to draw the line. You have to draw the line somewhere, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's you harder as your church you draw grows. Line, so gets harder as your well, church grows larger. I, I don't know. Um, I think again, you've got to be careful not to cross the line into performance. Yes, and again, I think you, you've got to draw the line. Like I said, if someone is so not necessarily unprepared, but if it distracts from the message and everybody kind of yeah. just sits there cringing, and it's like, you know, that's one thing. Um, but, but I see, most people keep... only do that when there's a lack of preparation. Right. Because right. I've heard people sing who don't have the ability that another singer has, but the heart and the mind mm-hmm. and the voice are prepared. And it's a blessing. I mean, it's yeah. edifying. Yeah. So, so it's, well, it's the it's same again, thing with preaching. We're kind of talking about music, but I think, yeah. you know, some preachers have a different experience level and a different just ability. Um, and, and again, it's... Maybe it shouldn't be that way, but sometimes what we do on a Sunday morning is is maybe it is aimed at a different level than the Sunday evening or Wednesday or something like that. But yeah. um, I, I think there's, there's a, a ministry. I think there's a ministry that a church has in cultivating growth in the ability of people to minister to God's mm-hmm. people. So mm-hmm. I've preached about five thousand messages, and I'm going to be better at it than you know a teenager you know who's just surrendered to preach or even you know a young man in bible college or something but those guys still need to be given opportunities in in certain settings 
And so the church is going to have to, in whatever that setting is, not have as as experienced of a preacher as they would in another situation. The same thing's true of music. They're going to have not as experienced of an offertory as they would have otherwise. Right. But that's part of the church's ministry to allow that person to serve and allow mm-hmm. the only way you get better at something is to do it. I mean, you have to do other things besides do it, but you that's cannot correct. improve without doing it. And so if we if we put this bar of excellence so high that right. people can't minister until that your, your word expertise is a better word it, that they can't minister until they achieve a certain level of expertise, we're never going to cultivate the next generation. So I think and I know you're not. I know you don't disagree with that, Brother Ross. No, I, the pushback um, I just is wanted good to bring that out. That 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 that's yes. a ministry of the church to listen to what yeah. some may say is a bad offertory or bad preaching. Not true. It's a ministry of the church to allow people who have who have practiced, who have worked at it, who have studied, etc., to yes. to to minister, even though they may not be as good as someone else. Yes, hundred percent. And the pushback is good because it, it rounds my thought out and it challenges me, and that's good. Um, and so. I love it. Brian made me laugh here in the middle of that. He said, don't underestimate the value of a good fog machine. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. And you know, so you I, have, I think, I think a, an experienced pastor does learn how to manage a bad yes. situation. And one of my favorite stories yeah. of Spurgeon is that someone in his church apparently was praying just like a super long prayer. And I think he talks about it in lectures to my students. Yes. yes. And so he stands up and says, well, brother and so-and-so finishes his prayer. Let's everybody turn to hymn number right. and sing. And so, you know, I, I just <laughs> so love So we're that. not alone. <laughs> yeah. That's he, great. Was, you know, he, he was all there. And I love Spurgeon. Oh, man. And I think it's worth talking about the timing of services as well. And that, you know, it came to mind when I was saying that the first pastor here at the church Apparently he got up once and well, he was preaching and apparently everybody was just really sleepy. And so apparently he just stopped and he was like, you know what? It's hard preaching to people who are asleep. So let's end the service and everyone go home and take a nap. <laughs> and Tom's out. So, Tom left as you said that. He goes, it's hard talking to these people while Stephen's up here. Um, and, uh, okay. So, so very good thoughts. And I, I have a feeling I'm going to get some pushback on, um, on what I've said, because I think I came across as being like, Hey man, if you're not practiced, if you're not, if you're not this good, you can't be. And so, uh, certainly want to correct that. I don't, I don't feel that way. Um, but then on the other side of that, you know, you've got, you've got basically excellence without exclusion. Is that what you called it, Martin? Yes. That's a really, really good phrase. I'm going to, I actually wrote this down. I, I, I wrote a couple things down. Tom says, teach your people how to minister to the overall church at large, the congregation. I'll probably have to go back and get the exact wording, but then excellence without exclusion. Phenomenal thought because I think p- more people being involved is good. And I think that's really helpful. So in structuring a church service, I think you can overstructure and you can under prepare and we need to avoid mm-hmm. those extremes. Tom, you're back now. I said, in structuring a church service, you can overstructure, you can structure people out, and you can underprepare. Those are the two extremes that we want to avoid. In the middle, we want to be where we are including people, we are helping, but but that's where leading and and teaching and all of those things go. So dead time, service flow, um, some other things that we can do, you know, maybe getting into the end. We're, we're, is it okay? Are we guys, are we good on time, guys? We can go a little long. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Martin. Yeah, I think I just saw um was it Sam Brennan walk past the, the window there? Sam Brennan gets a shout out. He's yeah, yes, dude, I'm he's, I'm being the homeschooling dad by shoving him in the next room and he's a little working. Easter egg. 
Right he's a great him. guy. I I like that young man. He's got so he, much potential and promise. Clearly, you've uh, spent just, a little out, bit of time. Look, there with he him. goes again. Outstanding. Yes, goes. So. Unbelievable. <laughs> he only says that because Sam loves Martin. So this is <laughs> never true. says he anything does. about me. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Says, no, he doesn't. Anyway, you're 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 not. Yeah, never mind. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> so we've talked about these basic things, and these are suggestions. These are practical. Everybody has to take these and interpret them in their context for them. I was in a church service recently and I was, and it was not mine. Uh, and I was like, man, they did a really good job of incorporating a lot of people in and, and they use different ideas in their context. They let their people do their video announcements. Now you may not, you guys may be like, Oh, I don't want to do video announcements, but I'm actually going to shoot for an idea similar because I thought what a great thing that the church body is the one talking about what's happening at the church instead of one of the pastors or the pastor himself getting up, making all the announcements, which is what I do. And I do them because I keep them shorter than anyone else, <laughs> which is a point that we well, could make. Cut a lot of your announcements out. Why do you have a bulletin? Yeah. They are, they we are put such... our announcements at the beginning of the service. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a preference thing. But so then you're not in this mind of of singing and preaching and praying and giving. And then it's, uh-huh. um, hey, you know, it's something non-spiritual and just kind of administrative. And it kind of breaks up the flow of the service, I feel like. So we do it right at the beginning and then we go into the rest of the service. Okay. I don't I don't hate announcements. I despise them with a passion. <laughs> if I could, I would never do another one. I, I want church to be let's sing, let's pray, let's give, let's preach, teach, and let's yeah. be done. Not not in a hurry, but in the sense of let's be spiritual all through this. And I, I agree with Brother Wickens entirely that they they jam up a service. They just mm. I, I've been part of services where, and we don't let this happen in our church here by the grace of God, but 30 minutes of announcements. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. uh, I, I mean. And, and let's just be frank. That's a, that's, a, that's a disservice to God and to God's people. It's a I waste mean, I, of I, people's time. Yeah. Well, in too many I mean, announcements, people lose the information like, you know. That, oh, yeah. I think it's good to highlight certain things to help with the organization of the church, but I think minimal is best and yes. using other formats to communicate, mm-hmm. especially in this day and age. I mean, yes. maybe once upon a time, um, it was more yeah. difficult, but now with email, Facebook, whatever else, I think there's other means that you can do yes. it. Um, moving on into the aspect of preaching, what are some areas that you all have worked toward in improving? Now, now, this is this is bordering on the pragmatic. Like somebody may say, "Oh, you're just doing that to to get a crowd or whatever." It's like, no, we it's it's just for me. My heart in it is excellence. I want to eliminate distractions, and one of the things that I am terrible at is telling jokes in the pulpit. I am awful. I mean, because you do them too much, or you you're just not. No, funny? no, I'm some just people not can funny. tell jokes, and some people can't. No, I can't. Like, I can't. I can make people laugh, but I can't tell a joke, and they're yeah. not the same. I thing. will. I will. Mm. If I tell a joke, it's usually because I'm punishing my church. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, you all are not <laughs> responding. So guess what? Here we go. Um, and and they, yeah. we laugh about it after. But but for me, I'm going to eliminate as much of that as I can. Uh, another thing that I'm going to do, and this is, uh, man, I I want to be careful here. I'm going to be very. <laughs> You guys are going to disagree. But Brian said, he goes, you guys would be a lot more interesting to listen to if you didn't agree on so much. That was at the beginning. (laughs) Now we're here. Um, (laughs) I'm going to be time conscious. And I know, (laughs) I know, limiting the Holy Spirit right there. I'm going to be time conscious. And 
part of that is because of my youth. I established that in my youth. Um, and, and I'm not going to, I don't think it's limiting the Holy Spirit to have a goal to end at a certain time. I've gone longer. Like our, our Sunday morning services used to be an hour. They're about an hour and 15 now. Uh, we're going to end at about 1215. We start at 11 for our morning service. Um, and so it's expected, I think, on a Sunday morning. But Wednesday night, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut her down. Eight o'clock. That's me. Why is that? Yeah. Because I want to establish trust. Now, I'm not going to do so at the expense of the sermon or the message or, or what God's doing in my heart in leading the people. Um, but that's just a discipline I've tried to do, which means that um, I, need to, I need to stop rambling because I'm going to say this, but uh, it means that I'm going to work not to ramble as I'm speaking. Mm-hmm. So I'm just working on me. I'm not, I'm not saying that you can't go long. I'm not saying you can't go over the time. I'm saying that I'm going to be disciplined in my message and I'm going to go for that, that time slot, um, not at the expense of the content, but out of respect to the people. That's a thought. I don't know that we disagree. I, I don't know. Martin, do you disagree with that? I don't think so. I mean, I, I um, my pastor, again, he used to say something along the lines of the heart can only absorb what the seat can endure. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think you've got to be, and it's not like, you know, okay, so they're going to sit down and watch a three-hour movie. You know, that's that's different, I think, in many ways to preaching. Now, if you're in an environment and you're in a context where the people are used to long services, then go for it. If, if you're yes. systematic and you say, okay, you know what? I think our services need to be longer. And over the next few months, mm-hmm. we're going to gradually, um, you know, extend the service. And this is what we're aiming for. But I think to make a congregation feel guilty because, you know, they're not willing to sit for as long as you're willing to speak. Uh, I right. don't know about that. I think, I think it's yeah. good to be considerate. Yeah. Okay. That's a great point. I'm not saying that services can only be an hour. Maybe you're used to having an hour and a half and and that's where it is. But I try to set the expectation. Like I said, Sunday mornings, people expect to go to about 1215. Why? Because mm-hmm. we go to 1215 every week. It's not long. It, we didn't go over. That's and when I like we what you said about trust. Like people, yeah, they need point. to have an expectation. And, and again, uh, someone mentioned in the, the comments there that if the Holy Spirit's working, then you, you go as long as as God, you know, as right. God leads you. Yes. Um, I know that's a conversation we've had about God's leading, but if, if the Lord's obviously yes. working, we're not going to be like, all right, time to time to go, people. But well, I think generally it's good to have that expectation and trust. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with I agree with all, everything you guys just said. I also think that organization enters into it. So many of our mm-hmm. services, there's something else our church is doing at the same time. And mm-hmm. if we don't structure yes. it in such a way that it's going to end at a certain time, then how in the world do they know how to plan what it is they're going to do? Yeah. And so if now if your approach to church is everybody's in one room, then that's a whole different that's a whole different discussion and this doesn't necessarily apply. Right. But if you have children's churches going on, if you have kids programs on Wednesday night, if you have nurseries, oh, yeah. if you have if you have, you know, bus routes where the parents are told the kids are going to be back at a certain time or yeah. teachers have planned a lesson for this number of minutes and mm-hmm. you know that you have to end services within, you know, a certain minute time frame in order to make those gears mesh. Our uh, just, um our people basically know that if we go long, it's generally because we have a guest preacher and not every guest preacher, by the way. 
there there are some specialists and specialized things that happen. Like if we have a guest preacher and I know that he can hold the attention of the people for a certain amount of time and it's, it's longer than what I can do, I'm going to work to give my people a little bit of notice on how to handle that. Right. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to, you know, I know some churches like, oh, we're done at this time and the pastor stands up and leaves. And I'm not kidding. I know of churches like that. Um, but um, there's a sense in which people need to be prepared for the exception but they mm-hmm. need to know that that exception is generally not pastor. And if it is, mustn't have needed to be. That's where that trust comes in. So I'm just saying establish trust. I'm not saying that you as can't an establish. Go ahead. Sorry, there's an evangelist. I don't mean to cut you off, but You're good. hopefully Dave Malinak will be happy with me. Um, but there, there's an evangelist that he he's known for preaching pretty much like 15 minutes on the dot. And I can't remember his name, but what he would say is that people can invite someone and say, hey, look, the preach is he's going to be done after 15 minutes. Now, again, if the Holy Spirit leads, then he'll go longer. But um, Oh, I'd love to tell my church, he's only going to go 15 minutes, 45 minutes later, you know. Right. (laughs) The Holy Spirit was leading. (laughs) Yeah, but no, like, again, he, uh, I think generally he's like, you know, I'm going to preach for this long and then I'm done. And, you know, I think there's times when, that that can be a benefit but what i would say with timing though is that the whatever happens i think that the most amount of time always has to be given to the word and my song leader is very good about noticing maybe things are taking longer and he will mm-hmm. he'll skip a verse oh, or he'll cut out that's a hymn good. and he's he's excellent about having a feel for what needs to be done without, without me having to go over and say hey skip yeah. a verse you know and, without killing the spirit of that song either making right. it only a time filler. I, I don't like that. I don't like when music is just a time filler. Amen. Um, amen, 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 we, amen. We've kind of gotten into the weeds here. And so uh, can we talk a little bit about special services? Sure. I think that, and I'm not trying to lead all this conversation, guys, cut me off and go for it here. I think one thing that blesses your church is, again, establishing trust that special services are going to be services that they can feel comfortable inviting their friend, friends and family to. Now, church is family. Family have, they, we have inside jokes. We have, in, you know, we have familiarity. Mm-hmm. But when we're pushing to bring visitors to church, and it could be, it could be Easter, it could be Mother's Day. Um, and you don't have to have a huge program, but you can have some consistent elements that are a blessing to people. If I could for a moment, share a little bit of what we do on Mother's Day. And I've talked about this on this podcast before, but our people know we're going to do baby dedication on Mother's Day. And that's always very well received. Um, We keep it somewhat short because there are a lot of babies on the platform. And so we do that. Then we also honor all of the people who have a mom in heaven. Well, first of all, we honor all the mothers. One year I, I did all of this and forgot to have the mother stand and I was in trouble. So we we do the baby dedication. We honor the moms. We have a gift for all the moms. Okay. And then we also do this deal where we have a song about heaven played and sung at the, at the time where people can come down and bring a white flower, lay it on a rocking chair and honor their mom who's in heaven. At the same time, if you have a child in heaven, because one of the things that you hear about a lot right now is that, you know, people with miscarriages are forgotten. They're overlooked. They're never, their pain is never understood. Um, or they they have a child who was born and later on died and in all of that, they can bring a um, a flower, a purple flower down in honor of their child. 
the first year we did that, it was overwhelming. The emotions were overwhelming. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, I mean, it, people were bawling. I, I thought, ah, did I go too far here? But I think we needed to get through that first year and we do it every year. And I mean, people show up. It's not just a gimmick. I'm not suggesting that, but they show up because it's meaningful. Yeah. It's edifying. And we don't do it in place of the sermon. Matter of fact, this year, I didn't even, I didn't even change my sermon from my sermon series. I was in a sermon series on the disciples. I was talking about the apostle John. I thought, oh, that's a great tie in there because his mother was, you know, uh, Jesus said to John, you know, this is your mother now. Totally forgot to bring that point in. Never even tied it into Mother's Day. Um, And a couple of people went, oh, I thought you could preach a Mother's Day sermon. I go, no, no, we didn't. But in the sermon, that's, that's probably 35, 40 minutes. I mean, that's, that's a good portion because there are several different things Mm -hmm. that we do. And we do that in a way that doesn't, that actually supports all of the doctrinal reasons that we meet. Right. We point everybody to the eternal um, Christian purpose of the day. And we do so in a way that helps people who are grieving. Um, It helps people who are celebrating their new children. And it brings our church family into a greater awareness of both of those things. And I need that. I mean, we need to do that. So even if it's just those kind of things, uh, it may not be just a random Sunday, but on the, on the big, you know, the high value, the high percentage shot Sundays, you know, Easter, Mother's Day, Christmas, et cetera, do something that's special that makes it meaningful and makes it unique on that day. It's just an idea. Um, maybe somebody can be helped by it. It's one of those things that I came to the conclusion I needed to grow in as a pastor. This uh-huh. is probably about 10 years ago. I realized, very frankly, I stunk at those kind of days. And it was one of my conscious decisions. I have to improve this. I need to grow in this area if I'm going to if I'm gonna effectively you know, lead my church to grow. And uh, I have worked at that. And I'm not as good at, at, at it, I think, as you are. But I've sought to grow in that area specifically to minister to my church and allow my yeah. church to minister to other people. And so even if... The way one of our listeners' churches doesn't do it, maybe exactly how you do. I'm sure you wouldn't quarrel with that. The principle is no. that you; those are opportunities. Correct. The, the mm-hmm. calendar brings you not. We view them as obstacles. They're not obstacles. They're opportunities for us to minister to our people and to people our people know. And and it is it is wise for us to learn how to take advantage of those opportunities in our context. I relate. I think Sorry, some Martin. people are afraid that you become a slave to the calendar rather mm-hmm. than what we're talking about is using it as an opportunity. And I know a lot of churches will have photo opportunities on Mother's Day and say, hey, look, yeah. you know, and for moms to say to their their kids, hey, I really want you at church with me today. We're going to take a photo or, you know, Christmas, whatever it may be. I, I think using the calendar as an opportunity to highlight certain things is is worthwhile without having to become a slave to it. Yes, Especially if they're will, biblical things. I will say too, Tom, that I ran the full gamut of what you're saying mm-hmm. through my own mind over the last 10 years, because there was part of me that's like, oh, it's a big day. We got to do this. And then we would do it. And I'm like, I don't feel like I had to do that. Mm-hmm. And then I went the other side, which was, I'm not going to do anything. And and it's like, that's <laughs> yeah, not good yeah, either, yeah, yeah. because your people come with this expectation of at least some form of observance. Um, and then when you don't do that, you get you get put into a category by by the people as being somewhat of a curmudgeon toward things. And I don't want that either because that's not how I feel. You know, like 
Veterans Day, I didn't know what we were going to do this year. I'm like, oh man. And I thought, well, we just had a big thing where we had, uh, we honored the veterans around, you know, September 11th and all that. And I thought, no, I need to do something. I just need to do something. It doesn't have to be the whole service. And so we got these stars for our troops. I learned of that from my friend Bruce Burkett out in Colorado. And he, he told me about these stars that they take from the flags of American flags that have flown over courthouses, battleships, um, things, you know, significant buildings and locations. And they take those, they treat them with respect, but they give one of the stars from those flags to the veterans. It was so small, so insignificant in my mind because I'm not a veteran. And I had people who were veterans saying, thank you. Just the fact we thought of them. They're part of our church. Okay. And it built them up in such a way um, to, to be a blessing to them. So I didn't want to miss the opportunity to be a blessing to people and to pastor my people on a significant day. And I think the Lord helped me with that, you know, just kind of balancing me out. So I've had to grow in that area too, where I don't bring a bad attitude or an unrealistic yes. attitude to the pulpit on those special mm-hmm. days. So, and I need, I need to grow in my attitude about those. Alan Ball says there's such a balance of pragmatism, using it as an opportunity, but still remaining in, independent while knowing someone agree. And I, that's, that's so true. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah. That's this well is, said, this is just basically some things that we've done. We've learned. Um, and you take it and contextualize it for your own church. Um, so, yeah. Any other thoughts, guys? Anything else? Apparently I think not. just being aware as well with everything we're saying, um, you've got to look at the context of your ministry. And whether, you know, I, I know some of our listeners aren't, you know, a lot of our listeners aren't pastors, which is, is great. It, it does. We do appreciate every perspective. Um, is recognizing the community you're in. Uh, I know some places, the the teaching, preaching, everything's a little bit more... Um, I don't know the right word, maybe a little bit more academic or, you know, in other places, not so much, but you've got to, you've got to know your community. You've got to know your congregation and you, you've got to meet them where they are and, and not just mm-hmm. do things in a certain way, because that's what you learned in Bible college, or that's what you grew up with. The Bible is always the guide. There's always clear doctrine, but where are you? What community are you in? And mm-hmm. the length of service the music, you know, everything has a bearing um, without having to compromise, but understanding where am I, who am I among. The maturity level of your church. Uh, yes. where, you know, if 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 you take a church and it's not used to expositional preaching, you shouldn't start with 88 messages from the book of Ephesians. That's exactly you to, right. You have to yeah. bring them to that place. And so mm-hmm. it's, it, it, again, so much of this is church specific. But it's leadership. It's about conscious decisions of this is a biblical direction to go. This is the best way to get there. Now I'm going to put that into operation and I'm going to gradually Mm -hmm. move this direction. It's not reaction. It's not I don't care. It's not, you know, haphazardly. It's done to glorify the Lord on purpose in such a way that it edifies his people. And I think if the larger point is that we should strive to do what we do in our services for biblical reasons, for edifying reasons, and that none of it should be accidental or haphazard. It should be done to the glory of God. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. And I hope that's the takeaway. Again, I'll take my ideas, throw them in the trash. I really don't think anyone has to use my ideas. Um, But I do agree with what Tom said, and you hit on it right there at the end. It says, you said um, it's leadership. And so what we don't have the option of doing is throwing up our hands and going, ah, 
these people. Nope. Mm-hmm. And nope. it takes hard work. You know, what we're talking about, the easiest thing in the world is just to get up and do what's comfortable, do the same thing all the time. And, you know, it takes hard work to really grow like you're talking about, Tom, yep. um, and to lead your church in that growth. Um, it's it's not easy. You know, the easy, you get to a point as a more of a mature preacher that the preaching is it's not easy, but it's easier than yes. growing. And so, you know, that's that's something just to be aware of, I think. Amen. Well, great uh, conversation from my perspective anyway. I enjoyed it, and I hope our listeners enjoyed it. We're still getting good feedback. I wish we could read all of them. But thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, Share this podcast on Facebook. It'll be available tomorrow on all the other platforms in an audio format. And uh, pray for us. We'll be back, uh, Lord willing, in January with a live and then um, releasing weekly episodes starting again in February. And we'll do about 10 to 10 to 15 episodes every season and keep going as long as the Lord allows us to do so. And, and we appreciate those who listen because without you, we wouldn't be doing this. And certainly without the Lord, we wouldn't have the ability to do it. So thank you and praise the Lord. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.